Well, welcome everybody to the Be More Rugby podcast. Lee, how are you? Yeah, very well, James. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the weather's uh, you know turned out nice now. You know, we're nearly into seven season. You know, and I'm a big advocate of sevens. Used to love playing sevens, not for the running, mostly for the sideline drinking. But uh, you know, that, that's on its way. Um, you know, we're sort of almost wrapping things up with the kids at Wimborne now, and the uh, senior senior games have finished. Um, so yeah, we're very much moving towards the close season. But um, you know, a few little exciting events to come. Excited. Very excited for them. And for everybody that's watching and hasn't already noticed, or those that are listening and are unaware, we have Tony Underwood with us. Tony, how are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for not running around sevens anymore. That was <laughs> on my side of things. You know, you'd be the quick one. I always used to, right, no, no matter whether you've just done a quick run, they've got to get the, feed the ball out to Tony and get him to run again. <laughs> uh, whereas nowadays, I think they've got all seven of them are, are pretty quick, uh, quicker than I am probably. But uh, yeah. It's very much a backs game, I think, now, anyway. So. It is. It is. I'm, a, I'm a big advocate. If you score, you come straight off and you get a rest. You know, I'm a big advocate <laughs> yeah. of that way of playing. So. <laughs> Unless you're one of our heavy forwards from last year who ah. nailed some poor kid while the ball was still coming down, hitting probably 10 minutes before the ball came down. And... Yeah, there was a definite timing issue going on there, yeah. wasn't it? You know? Yeah. Well, when we talk about rugby values on this show, weren't you talking, talking about? about? Yes. <laughs> Tolerating that kind of behaviour. <laughs> no. Especially from but, the forwards. <laughs> especially from the forwards. So, uh, but we'll, um, well, as we do, we'll talk a little bit about rugby for five minutes before we um, delve into Tony's incredible career. Um, I want to bring up Chris Ashton because he's announced his retirement, then scored over 100 tries in the Premiership. Um, he's had a, a career of in and out of international, uh, the England team, but done fantastic. I mean, he's been around um, in lots of different clubs, but he's done fantastic. He's he's made some real records, but can he really retire satisfied when he's had a such a disjointed international career? I think I'd be pretty happy with that, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah I know. I think he's done fantastically well. Um, and what I particularly like about Chris Ashton is he's he's a character, and I feel sometimes um, you know in this day and age we're a bit more um, sterilized, if you like, and uh, and you know we sometimes don't allow our characters to come forth. But he's very much a character, and he's a bit marmite. I know that you know it's very much love him or hate him sort of situation. But you can't deny what a good rugby player he is. You know, up to to have played you know both codes, uh, played internationally with both codes as well. And um, been to a few clubs. So he's obviously, you know, in search of the right club to make sure he got those 101 tries. Um, but, yeah, you cannot deny how how, how good the guy, guy's been. Well, what do you think, Tony? Do you think there's more of an emphasis on on players to have an international career than a, a, and then a club career? Or? Well, the nature of the sport is, you know, obviously a lot of the focus is on international rugby. That's where the a lot of the coverage is shown and you know you kind of a bit sort of a smaller crowd watching the population the general population you know not really you know only focused on watching the club rugby but you know you can't deny the guy and and I think you have to sort of talk about um things very much on an individual basis I think you as you talk to Lee you know he's got to be happy with what he's done he's trying to stay true to himself um and you know he's played his rugby the way he plays it and, and let's face it, you know, when your career is ending with 
uh, you know, everyone talking about that try, you know, and, you know, you can be linked to something like that in your memory bank. Uh, most of us would be pretty happy with saying that. Um, we'll talk about certain aspects of my career when they're not so, you know, not so glory days. Um, and that, and, you know, and Chris, unfortunately, got a few of those attached to his name as well. But I think the main sort of memory is going to be that try. Um, and obviously his swan drive, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, true to himself, you know, play both codes for your country. Um, and uh, you can only do what you can, you know, if your face doesn't fit, um, um you know and there's elements of that in my career at certain time then you know just stay how you are not just pretend to be anything you're not and still have the career he did um and obviously have that accolade not just that try but in domestic rugby to have scored you know to, to reach the three figures and be a struggle if anyone else has that longevity um then uh you know absolutely big hand to the man big fan yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously, it's 101 premiership tries. When you look at what he did in rugby league and you uh, what he did in France, actually, his try scoring record is up over the 200 mark. Mm. So it's pretty oh. pretty phenomenal, yeah. you know. Um, and and got to be said, I think you did a, allude to it just now, Tony. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's had a few um, uh, lowish moments, should we say? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been some fighting. There's been bans for tip tackles gouging incidents biting incidents yeah and he's actually uh been banned for over 30 weeks so um wow um, <laughs> had, had he been on the pitch for a bit longer i think we could could well be into up towards 120 tries so uh but you know what a fantastic achievement and uh you know and that ash splash i couldn't find any footage of him dropping the ball I thought he was bound to have dropped one of them, but I could not. He was anything. he was under strict instructions <laughs> not to do it because he would drop it, and yeah. you could see it in his eye when he was running for the try line. Every time was like, yeah, I just why not? No, I've been on some of those those rugby blooper sites, you know, and just having a look, and the ones that <laughs> people are in the air and they realise the balls just slipped from their hands, <laughs> you know, and their facial expression completely changes to a look of horror, doesn't it? Um, yeah. But no, he doesn't feature in any of those. So uh, yeah, hundred percent record on the Ash Splash. There you go. So do you think? Players generally, when they're focusing on their club career, and I, and I know all players want to get to international standards, but do you think there's too much pressure sometimes on players to to reach that international level, or should there just be more focus on them playing the rugby and enjoying it, and let the international come if it comes? Yeah, in, in my mind, that's how you've always got to approach the things. You know, you, you want to be playing at the highest level as much as you possibly can, but you can only control so much. And I think uh, especially, you know, people can say stuff outside the perimeters, uh, outside the walls, but the only thing that matters is you, your teammates, the the environment you're in, and and ultimately a selector. And uh, uh, and the that, that sort of setup, they will determine things as much as the press want to... Uh, determine things as much as sometimes supporters might want to um, uh, sort of push things, uh, push different agendas. You know, ultimately all that matters are the people that make the decisions and you doing what you can within it. Um, uh, yeah. So there might be a story there about where he shouldn't. Obviously you're talking about it. That is a factor, but ultimately, you know, I think as a player, all you can do is just control what you can, as I said, and I hope he, you know, remembers that and stays proud about what he did because uh, he couldn't control anything else. Yeah, I'm sure. I think he, he's definitely a player that's just gone out and expressed himself, you know. He's clearly enjoyed what he's done. And uh, as you said, Tony, he stayed true to himself, you know. And clearly, 
looking at the clubs he's been he's been at, sometimes it didn't fit for him. You know, it just wasn't wasn't the fit, and he had to move move elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I I just think he's gone out there, done his own thing, enjoyed himself, and uh, you know, done what he's good at, and he's had a great career on the back of it. It always does surprise me how many times you see players that don't seem to to um, play their best rugby at a club and then they move on and nothing seems to have changed because they haven't had the time to develop in any other way, but they seem to fit and they seem to play their rugby so much better at, at a different club. Is it is it just a culture thing, Tony, or is it? Yeah, again, again, you've got to be behind in, in between those walls to know, you know, uh, to understand really about the culture fit and whether there was issues about his personality, etc. We can we can discuss this at length outside. You have to be in those walls, yeah, and you have to be part of that sort of system. Um, you know, as I said, what he did do really well is he, you know, he performed, and that's all you can ask of someone when he goes places. And the reason he performed, and you know, let's face fact, he scored a lot of tries, but a lot of them weren't from just finishing it out out wide. You know, he, he did what I like to think was part of my game a lot. You know, you know, looking for work and looking for lines, great support lines he would run. And that's what he's known for. And I'd like to think that's what my, part of my game was about, was, you know, just choosing choosing the right time and place to be around where you knew the sort of game would advance advance to, spotting gaps and opportunities and having the sort of skill set to take advantage of it. And that that skill set, doesn't matter where you play, you know, is going to be is going to produce results. Yeah, it's all that anticipation, isn't it, of the play and uh, and even looking at the particular player that has the ball at that moment in time, what's that player going to do? And probably something to do, again, with, with, with the club you're at, but, you know, you, you, you gen- these relationships develop and you understand what, what, what a player may do, you know, what, what might be the options, what might you be looking for? You know, we've all played with the second row that's never going to pass to you in a million years, you know? All right, but... What's that for? I, I, I didn't stop that. <laughs> but, uh, but um, did, did, have you passed to me? No, I haven't. All right, okay. So uh, there we go. Vindicated <laughs> again. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's just that, that anticipation and that sort of bit of nous, really. Yeah, to 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 run those supporting lines and uh, pick up on those sort of um, opportunities. Do we um, do we think going to France um, helped him because he he came back with the Barbars, played against played against. Um, England and you could see the hunger in his eyes when he played against England do you think there was a point he wanted to prove there more so than anything else and he got back into the England squad but didn't really do anything he wasn't really picked he was just a bit part um I think he probably hadn't finished with his with his aspirations to play international rugby mm-hmm. you know and probably if you talk to him right now I know he's retiring as of the end of the year if, he, if someone asked him to play for England tomorrow he'd be all over it you know um, but I think that's what it was. It's just he, he's such a competitor, you know, and that's that's part of his makeup. And he was just desperate to prove a point and say, look, I can still do this. I can do a job here. Come and pick me. But you're right. He got into the squad, didn't he? The wider training squad, but never actually advanced to any of the game day squads. Mm. So, you know, but there there it is. But uh, what a fantastic player. Yeah. Yeah. Does he retire in England great? Uh, I think so. I think so. I said, you know, He's, he still is very, very much Marmite, but, um, you know, so there'll be, you know, 50% of the listeners will be out there thinking, oh, no, he's a proper, you know, whatever. But uh, the other 50% will be saying, you know, I think probably with us, what a great player he is, you know. So, yeah, not sure. Well, Look, listen, you, it provided a lot for me, provides a lot of memories for any England fan or any fan of rugby. 
And if you do that, you know, you deserve every every uh, sort of accolade you can get from it and every fond memory of it. And I think that's important for him moving on. You, could, you know, just got to bear in mind, that, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of athletes, whether rugby players or not, you know, he's at the cusp of really sort of a difficult time in his life, sort of moving on from that. If, if indeed he does sort of, I don't, know, don't want to use the word follow through on his decision. You know, he, he makes it, makes an announcement, but he makes a sort of comment. But if he decides to play longer, he plays longer. But that transition element is such a difficult period of time for any athlete, uh, whatever your support. And, uh, and I wish him luck with that because part of that transition is going to be having that internal conversation that uh, of that you're having right now about you know did he fulfill himself and is in terms of what he wanted to achieve and can he move on and can he be sort of um not put that to bed but kind of move on with that part of his life done uh in a in a positive way and i think he he should uh, but that's an internal journey of his it's an in- interesting one you know how many athletes like you say do we see that are retiring and then suddenly seem to hit their peak <laughs> and you wonder whether, you know, they, they think to themselves, you know, perhaps I, perhaps I have got maybe a couple of years left in me or so, or so, but um, yeah, like you say, hopefully he gets some, some support with that as well, perhaps from his family or, or friends. Um, as we hope all athletes retiring or struggling anywhere, get support mm-hmm. from people. And that's the whole idea of rugby, isn't it? But uh, I suppose, like you say, Tony, in, until you've been inside those, four walls and had the conversations with your teammates um, and your closest. Um, it's difficult to know the decisions. Did you get any support when you retired? Um, well, sort yeah, kind of. I mean, it was a bit sudden for me, but I, sudden, but not sudden. I would kind of decided what was going to come next for me, which was going to be flying. I ended up in a, into a flying career and sort of started that process before the actual moment, if you like, and it came a little bit more sudden than anticipated, but uh, um, so it wasn't really kind of my decision, but not really my decision. So, uh, um, and maybe that helped, that helped that sort of um, one that I had something to look forward to, to move forward onto. And then secondly, that, you know, you know, I played the, my last game of rugby and I didn't know it was going to be my last game of rugby at the time. So you didn't have all that sort of stuff going on around it, um, which is sad in some ways, you know, that you, but I think most guys, the age, I mean, I was in the late 20s, 20s, so not that old, really. But you sort of, once you've been in that set of setup for a while, you kind of started thinking, oh, I better make the most of this and enjoy every opportunity that comes because um, um, these might be the last. And uh, and started really savouring the kind of uh, opportunities and privilege passed your way to represent your country, etc. Um, and and being play in front of these big crowds, then um that process had sort of started so um um but it's you, you never really cope with it uh, i don't think you can but uh it um, until a long time passes and a few decades go under the, under the bridge and then you can look back and shock that you ever did it in the first place but <laughs> <laughs> there you go well we wish him all the best anyway i'm sure we'll see him presenting somewhere he is that character like you say you'll oh, be sure. um be uh, on the tv or on social media in some way probably uh, giving his opinion so <laughs> but we'll move on with our first half then um and we'll talk to our guest about his um pretty incredible career um so i'll introduce again tony underwood we have born in malaysia went to school in barnard castle started his rug club rugby for leicester tigers 
before moving on uh, to Newcastle. Made his debut for England in 92 against Canada um, and played another 26 international matches for England, winning a Five Nations as it was back there, Grand, then Grand Slam in 1995. He also played in the infamous South Africa World Cup in 1995. Went on tour to South Africa with the British and Irish Lions in 97 um, and won a premiership with Newcastle in 97-98 season. Um, since then, he's been flying the biggest airlines in the world, the A380 for Emirates, um, along with some others. And he's also an ambassador for many organisations, including, as I understand, still the, the Newcastle Foundation. Is that Christ? The, the yeah, Newcastle right. Rugby Foundation. Rugby Foundation. Um, and he also coaches team building, leadership development, career development, executive coaching based around teamwork and relationships. Uh, um, and, uh, of course, we can't forget uh, he appeared in that incredible Pizza Hut advert <laughs> alongside the true legend of rugby that is uh, his mum, Mrs. Thank Andrew. you. <laughs> There's a line Ian Robertson spoke about that. 27 years to grow from out of your brother's shadow. And now you're living under your mother's, and I continue right. to, and very proud to as well. So thank you very much. <laughs> the the only player to really stick one on Jonah Lumo, I think, really. But there we go. So, yeah. um, incredible woman, and and of course she was all over the telly, you know, back then because she came to all your games, didn't she? Oh yeah, you wouldn't miss her there, and right. um, and uh, yeah, I think just lucky one day that I think BBC at the time, the producer watched after Rory scored a try, seen her reaction and said, stick a camera on her. And very fortunately, I scored a try not long afterwards and she was captured uh, doing her one woman Mexican wave. But, you know, anyone with kids or anyone involved with their, any any part of their family do you do or friends that do well, it just represents what we all feel, uh, whether you're watching on the side of Wimborne sort of sidelines or you're at Twickenham doesn't matter you know it's the same feeling uh, mm -hmm. it's just a few more people around you uh, but um, yeah whether there was five on the sidelines or you know 70,000 it was the same reaction <laughs> absolutely much more embarrassing on the sidelines of Barnard Castle School you know <laughs> when in front of 70,000 when she got lost in the crowd you know <laughs> so go back to that is that where you started playing rugby was it at Barnard oh, yeah. Castle you played before no, nothing. So, as you said, I was born in Malaysia, sort of grew up there, pretty idyllic childhood. Father was uh, English expat out there. My mother was uh, um, a local Chinese Malaysian lady. And um, it was all football then. You know, I was very quick because I continued to be not very skillful, but quick enough to sort of get around people with the speed. Um, and that was going to be the future. And then they took me to Barnard Castle to the northeast of England and uh, uh, Rory was about six years ahead of me, six years older than me. I got another brother, Gary, five years older. They were all storming it on the rugby fields. And so I didn't have much choice, really. I mean, they didn't entertain the round ball game anyway. So that was never going to be an option. But obviously having the name Underwood um, and and uh, and following in their footsteps, um, I didn't have much choice what followed. Um, Bidding Cole stood in the wing uh, in the northeast of England. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So was was it a natural progression then following Rory? Because Gary played, was it under 18s, under 19s, 20s? And no, Gary didn't quite make under 18 because he suffered some bad knee injuries when he was at, um, uh, sort of in that age group wise. So unfortunately, um, 
played sort of didn't quite get to England school sort of stuff but um he I'd safely say he is the talented one out of the three. Well, there's four of us. I got a younger sister as well, but um, out of the rugby playing ones or any sport, uh, he was the talented one in terms of just being able to use, you know, he's sickening guys that just let's have a game of golf, Gary. And then he just turn up and shoot under 10 handicap or something, you know, and, uh, um, and just an incredible eye to ball coordination. Um, you'd probably say Rory and I just a little bit quicker, a little stockier than him. Uh, and just suited to a position, um, although Rory did play around the around the park a little bit more than I did. Uh, but um, but Gary, you know, fly half type, center type player, um, great ball player. Just un- unfortunately didn't sort of have the breaks at that age. Mm. So Rory made it into to England. Um, was it natural that they started looking at you, or or did you did you have oh, to? have to step up or or was it that that they were just looking at the lads at Barnard Castle anyway well I mean um, it was all school but it was all just for the school until I got to 16 yeah. group but yeah um so by the time you get a 16 group you know you kind of been in the school circuit for that for a few years so you kind of started you know you know our circuit has some really good schools like Savages Newcastle Durham School Ampleforth Sedba and the likes um and so, you know, when you're playing against these kind of teams, uh, then you you get spotted. And obviously, as I said, with Rory, Rory starting playing for England by then, by the time I got to 16 group, um, you turn up for the Durham County trials and, you know, kind of do OK, then then you're going to progress. I didn't manage actually manage to get in the 16 group team. Um, uh, and then then. Uh, the following year was in under 18 and the year early got into that team played for the under 18 group for two years um so uh and then but then then even then you know you kind of get through schools and uh at that stage you know rugby wasn't a profession you kind of whatever's next it was university for me and i only ended up at leicester through clearing uh wasn't supposed to be down there and uh trottled off down there uh, first term didn't play my girlfriend at the time now wife um she was at durham university we were spending our time hopping down the a1 um basically go see each other and uh it really took until february after i'd started there um before i sort of yeah better you know, less cusworth i think him and rory sort of said look it's about time you came down and sort of played a bit of rugby down here and then luckily they did that's incredible, really, because it's with siblings um, in sports. There's always um, is there more of a rivalry between the two of you, or is it is it a support? Is it? You know, I, I think there's a couple of um, dynamics at play with mine. One's the age gap. Uh, secondly, you know, we're an Asian family. You know irrespective of whether Rory never got capped and I then went on to your older brother is always better mm. you know you always respected your older brother so I grew up sort of uh you know older brother Rory and Gary they're better than me and I always look up to them and I always res- um not just respect them but you know sort of look look to them as your betters almost um so you kind of conditioned some people would say, "Do you have this sort of goal to be the best in you get in the game?" But I think it was very conditioned to be a very young age. I wasn't even the best in the family, so what was the point? <laughs> so uh, you know, you kind of just uh, 
as I said, irrespective of whether they went on to greater things, you know. So, um, uh, so I always grew up with a sense of just okay. Well, I can't con again back to this control element. It's it's a massive factor. Is so what can I control? Well, I can control just being the best version of myself can be. I can have aspirations to be one of the best in the world, or best in the country, or best in the county at the time, you know. Um, and it would always be a pleasant surprise to me if I got picked. Uh, and thankfully, it happened twenty six times, as you said. Like it to be more, but we'll get onto that. But uh, <laughs> so your club career then, how did that? Because I looked online, and it's not clear as to when you started. Um, actually, is that because you were at university down there? Uh, for well, I, it was a bit of sort of mixed time for me, club rugby in uh, in the amateur days, because yeah, I started at Leicester University, did my three years there. Uh, towards the tail end of the first year, sort of side training with the Tigers. I don't know whether I actually played for the first 15, maybe towards the end of that season, might have got a couple of games. But it had been the following season that I started playing a bit more regularly. So, um, and had a bit of a season then, end of 89, uh, sort of sort of second real season there. That's when I started getting sort of picked up by the Barbarians and playing a few games for them sort of thing. And first game at Twickenham was for the Barbars against New Zealand. Um, uh, and, and that's kind of kind of got my first sort of break into um, in, into sort of uh, higher echelons. And that's the tradition of the Barbars was fantastic. I was the I was the only uncapped as it was then, you know, you choose one uncapped player. And I was the I was they kindly chose me for that. Plus, I played talking about sevens. We were earlier. I've been able to play in the uh, Hong Kong Sevens a couple of times with teams like the Irish Wolfhounds and um, and then then the Barbarians. Um, but then my club rugby sort of you know was kind of mixed because I ended up going to Cambridge at that time as well. So uh, so went on from Leicester, ended up at Cambridge after that. I was supposed to go there first time round, which is why I ended up at Leicester on clearing. Um, <laughs> so improved my grades a little bit more, and then got ended up at Cambridge the second time round. Um, and sort of mixed that and then the next couple of years was mixed uh with traveling you know playing at uh, cambridge before the varsity match uh, and then heading towards the tigers towards the second half of the season well that must have been difficult then traveling backs and forwards for for that and especially like you say when it's um when it's back in the amateur days and i think it depends on how old the demographic is that listen to our podcast but um even Jay, our other co-host, who's what 22, 23? Yeah. Um, can't remember the Five Nations days, um, mm -hmm. and I don't think. Yeah, no, that means that he's only he's only known professional. Yeah, he rugby, has, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult to remember back because I think we've all moved on so quickly with the spectacle now that is professional rugby mm -hmm. to remember the amateur days that you all had careers, you were all having to go and work as well. And we've seen it with the with the women's game recently, obviously the transition there. But but how different was it? Because you, you were right on the cusp, weren't you? Because not was it yeah. 95? 95, yeah. Became yeah, professional. So Yeah, so literally we had the World Cup in 95 down in South Africa you talked about, and I know we'll talk about it a bit. Um, <laughs> literally we went there as amateurs, played the played the tournament as amateurs, pretty much came back and then again that's when all the that's when it all kicked off. Uh, the likes of Packer and um, Murdoch were involved in bidding rights for the sport, etc. And then uh, we ended up, you know, in, in, the, in the, the sport as we kind of know it now. Um, but yeah, the time be, pre-95, 
you kind of mixing it all up, trying to make it work as best you can um, and, and commit yourself to the the training in the evenings and traveling up from wherever you were, trying to fit it in around your daytime sort of stuff. Um, some some employers were a bit more um, uh, accommodating and understanding than those. I had some great um, um, employers at the time uh, towards the latter end of that spell. Um, and, you know, this is where sort of back at the time the disparities would be that, you know, certain countries were better at supporting their players uh, in um, in finding them roles that allowed them the freedom and the and the and the time to be able to dedicate themselves to uh, training and playing, uh, rather than you know the England players who were a bit more um, a bit more tied down to things, and that would extend to not just the time, but also you know things like remuneration and what you're allowed to sort of claim for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know we knew if you. Um, shoe boxes were filled with other things rather than your latest pair of nikes and adidas's so uh, i should say mizuno as well they were my sponsor as well so um <laughs> include them in there but um you know you know literally it was just the boots and a free pair of trainers which is great you know but uh certain countries were probably a little bit looser with those arrangements uh to allow the players to have that ability to you know bridge that gap that you kind of needed to when you're playing professional level and of course, sorry, when he's playing at an international level. So. Yeah, yeah, and and how? Because I know there was a lot of trying to figure it out and understanding. Of course, you know, I've never been a professional athlete, so I bow completely to other people's understanding, like yourselves. How does that affect your club rugby at that time when the England uh, camp were trying to transition from amateur to? To professional. Oh well, that period of time, that cusp was um, massively um, uprooting for uh, a lot of clubs uh, and and unions. You know, some of the unions were really slow to react, and 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 that, if you like, that slow change that they had and that inertia that they had, meant that we ended up really how long how much longer twenty eight years later with the sport in the so the situation is now because of the lack of mm. um, inertia and lack of proactivity and, and uh, the sort of head in the sand mentality that a lot of the unions had, no less England, uh, that, um, you know, to, to, to move on and, and grasp the nettle of the opportunity, if you like, uh, which, you know, left it open to the clubs to kind of take control of it. And, and you know, Falcons being one of those to sort of embrace it at a very early stage. Saracens, the Richmonds of the world at the time, were one of the quickest to to sort of get off the mark. And and that then led to really the sort of the dominance of club rugby um, in terms of um, uh, control of players, et cetera, moving on, and which is, you know, really sticking with us right to this day uh, of maybe the situation not being to the interest of the international team and international rugby uh, as things are right now and probably not to the interest of the players as well and let's face it down the road to the fans mm. Mm. it's um it's interesting that it seems to to still be rumbling rumbling on in you know in the fact that you know that rugby seems to be struggling still I, I really hadn't put that connection together until you'd said then but it it does make complete sense that there there needs to be some some eyes opened maybe 
to to grasp this opportunity and you know and and turn rugby into the spectacle it it should be rather than it struggle along perhaps yes i mean it's in a difficult place at the moment isn't it i mean we've lost two clubs out of the premiership this year and uh you know and the likes of london irish are struggling you know so the likelihood is and unless you know people come in with a big pot of cash that some of the other clubs are going to um disappear um to a degree out out of that sort of um top echelon of uh, of the english league um but you know certainly then there are a few have to be part of this but um someone's got to really get hold of it and uh, try and understand how we make it better and and for the better of all and particularly the players you know, the amount of playing time for having these stars that we want to see perform at their top level we need to look after them as well you know yeah. you can't expect a player to be beaten up for however however many sessions it is it is a year and not have enough recovery time mm. you know it's just it's just not 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 on and and it's it will be to the detriment of the sport because you know we'll have more and more players that will retire earlier because they've got persistent injuries you know head knocks whatever whatever it be but you know we've really got to have a look and and find a solution um mm. but that is everyone everyone needs to needs to buy in and be part of part of the conversation i think mm. but um yeah, certainly. I mean, just going back to uh, that 1995 um, World Cup, obviously um, uh, Jonah was there and, uh, you know, he was and still remains as as probably the biggest star, you know, that rugby has produced. And uh, there was clearly an opportunity there to, to on, on the back of, of him and what he was doing for the, the sport to be promoted and uh, maybe taken to a better place at that moment in time. But, um, yeah, sadly, it, it, it didn't really happen. Um and and yeah, and I think you're right, uh, um, Tony. That's just contributed to where we are in, in the current day. Let's go to that World Cup, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. Great segue. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there were some big stars there. Um, movies have been made about it. Mandela was there. There was massive change in in South Africa. Um, was it something that you were aware of while you were there? at the World Cup? Was it that apparent? Was there something in the air or was it just a World Cup that you went to with the aim of doing your best? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you don't mean that by just, well, you interpreted just the World Cup, but yeah, no, yeah, you're yeah, there yeah, to play yeah. you're, not, you're not, you know, and I know that's what you meant, sorry, but just to clarify that, you know, this sense of just, you know, you're not following narratives, you're not following the story of this, that and the other, and obviously you look back and and, and you know, all that involvement of the Mandela era and out of apartheid. And, you know, we, we'd been down there a year before, actually, as it happened. England played a couple of test matches down there. First test at Pretoria, you know, you had half an hour on the pitch while we watched flyovers introduced to de Klerk and Mandela, which is obviously a huge honour and a privilege to meet the guy. But you're there to play a test match and you're there half an hour for all the finery on the pitch. But that was the significant moment you know, the reintroduction of South Africa into the arena, then leading a year later to their World Cup and then ultimately to their win. I mean, yeah, that's why a movie's written about it. So, um, and, you know, and obviously the Jonah story that's sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a man that, as you said, you know, it, it transcends the sport, you know, the Tiger Woods equivalent of our, of, of rugby. And, um, you know, but, you know, when you're down there, no, all you're focusing on is your pool matches, getting through those, facing Australia in the quarterfinal, getting through that. And then obviously, you know, just trying to get one over on New Zealand. Um, um, and, and, you know, so that's your focus, that's your attention rather than the narratives playing off around it. And, of, and a lot of times, you know, I have to bear in mind, not just was it amateur 
in terms of rugby, but it was amateur in terms of technology back in those days was, you know, so no, no internet, no uh, immediacy of things. So whatever was playing out in the press, uh, you, you obviously avoided any of the press in South Africa because that was so one eyed. It was unbelievable. So you kind of stayed away from all of that. Uh, but what was going on back at home? Well, you you know, when you're on tour, you, and even to a certain extent, I guess, who'd know, you'd have to ask the current players. When you're away somewhere, you kind of get shielded away from all that. Uh, and you just get focused on, you know, you know what you're there to do. Uh, and um, so, yeah, no, that it was very much sort of mission oriented, if you like. Uh, and that's where you, that's where the focus was. When you look back now, do you, um, do you think perhaps it would have been nice to have taken in that, that time? It was such a historic time for the world, really, not just South Africa. Do you, do you look back and think I was there, but I don't, I didn't really take it in? Um, well, you're there, but you're not there as a fan. You're there as a player. Mm. So, uh, you can't. I don't have any regrets about that. No, I think, um, you know, my involvement with the game to a certain extent, and we've had a chat about the, the three of us, haven't we? That, you know, my involvement was very much as a player. Uh, I, you know, we might touch upon it, but sort of post rugby went into flying and then kind of moved on from the sport. So uh, I look on it for, as, a, as a sort of quite distant fan of the game. Um uh, my involvement with the sport for me was playing it so that's that's what I miss was the playing aspects as opposed to what was going on around it so it's those aspects that I have some regret about not taking in a bit more uh, is just savoring the playing of it as opposed to the narrative going on around it sort of thing mm. and you obviously you went on tour with the Lions uh, 97 um, Martin Johnson, young captain at the time. What was the Lions camp like in comparison to England? Well, I'll, I'll add to that, not just because I want to big myself up, but I went in 93 as well to New Zealand. I apologise. I've actually yeah. done that on my research. I saw you have. It's on my list. Well done, Lee. Thank you very I much. I haven't put that on yet. I was going to so... point it out to you, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I apologise, so, yes. No, don't, don't worry about it. So uh, I only say that because... I, I had that to compare it with as well. Um, and two really strong captains in terms of Gavin Hastings, uh, 93, huge performer out there, great person, great personality, great captain and great leader, I thought. Um, and then obviously Martin Johnson as well with in his own way. Uh, well, not just in his own way, in, in any way, a <laughs> great captain and leader. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, at the time, the England squad, we'd, uh, so where was I? That was Jack Rowell sort of era. Uh, and then, you know, just on the cusp of Clive Woodward. So I hadn't been under the Clive sort of time by then. So, you know, Jack's camps were, I'd, I'd grown up with Jack Rowell because um, I'd played England A a lot with uh, under him, Mike Slem and Les Cusworth, and th these sort of guys I came sort of through with into the England. Uh, and when they came into the England setup, I was kind of used to them. Uh, to a great extent so a, a, an area a place where I felt at home um, the 97 one um, I felt at home as well uh, and because the approach was very similar it's sort of the, a lot of the stuff I reflect on now and try and sort of impress upon people is just that effort made uh, on the culture of that group mm -hmm. and 
just that understanding of what was required in essence to gel a, a, a bunch of disparate people you know uh you i said you said i could swear so you're basically you're kicking shit out of each other for four years you know you, you, you're, you're natural enemies if you like some by this time professional had started kicking him in as well so that was a big difference as well an amateur tour in 93 and then 97 the first first uh, professional lions tour that aspect of you know players changing clubs a little bit more and rubbing shoulders with each other a little bit more we so we got some of us had got to know each other a little bit by then um uh playing at clubs together but by and large we were still you know sort of uh natural enemies if you like and and that it's that's that's the narrative that i treasure is that the memory of how you can put that aside and very quickly you know face a mission to, to basically take on the world's best, the world's champions at the time in their backyard uh, uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and it's a very hostile place to play South Africa, as you know, anyone who follows rugby will know. Uh, and to put that aside and then go down and as well as we did is, I think, a, a really good um, metaphor, if you like, about what, what I learned and most people would learn from that sort of uh, tour, uh, what it takes to, you know, to bring a group of, you know, different people together very, very quickly. That's um, that's pretty impressive because we obviously we just look from outsiders and and we, and of course with social media today, there's so many clips of speeches from captains and and coaches and managers and all and all and and you see them gelling together, but it's such a, a snapshot. But to understand really what it takes, like you say, the effort that you have to put in to mm. um, to bring together some players that, you know, in your words, are kicking shit out of each other for the last, you know, year or so, to to come together to to be absolute teammates on a on a pitch and help each other out is it's that sort of mindset and that sort of development that that really has kind of intrigued me to to start doing the the be more rugby stuff because i mean lee and i run the the academy here at, at wimborne and and we're all about the lads developing themselves into men and to be able to go out and be effective with others mm. to create teams to create culture to create something mm. that they can can achieve because they they can't achieve on their own mm. they need other people to help them them achieve and sometimes they're going to go into circumstances where they've got people that are strangers or people that perhaps were on a different team um, beforehand. So to understand that culture of, of what it takes to 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 bring together a team that one hand they're you know kicking shit out of each other and the next minute they're working together to try and you know to try and win um, or be successful um, is really intriguing. Hopefully we'll come onto that in the second half as well. But oh yeah, I mean. I, I won't I won't be avoiding talking about that that's for sure that's because mm. it, it it symbolizes it better than anything most things I know uh just um just what it takes um so we alluded to it we were happy to talk about it now or we talk about it later but uh um Go for it, is it, yeah. it's a sense of just um to, to me it's it's uh, the, the, there's a line that I would use about it is understanding about performance through purpose and <laughs> The advantage you have when you have a brand, if you like, whether it's Wimborne, Barnard Castle School, 
Leicester Tigers, Newcastle Falcons, England Rugby, or the ultimate, obviously, in the in, in a rugby shirt, anyone who comes from these aisles anyway, it's the British Lions. Now, but all that does is it gives you a starting point. You start from a from a point further than anyone else because you're out there playing for the British Lions and everything that that represents. Okay. But one thing that a 93 tour that didn't go so well against a 97 tour that did um, was that you have to start, don't just take that and take that for given and that will do and don't rest of your laurels with just that. But you have to really articulate clearly and, and, and understanding about, well, who are the 97 Lions? Who are this group? What are we all about? And, uh, and what do we bring to the table um, in terms of how we're going to achieve this mission? What's our purpose, if you like? And it has to go beyond just beating South Africa. You know, it has to go beyond that. And it did. And it, and that articulation of who we were and how we were going to, it's this idea of you, you don't, you know, the outcome, the result we're looking for is to beat South Africa. But what processes do we put in place? What purpose, what objective do we say about how are we going to do it? And that's our mission, if you like, to take, and this Bill Walsh quote about, uh, the South uh, San Francisco 49ers coach. You do you do the, all these things right. The score will take care of itself. And as long as you know y- your focus is more on about how you put in pl- place the parts, the purpose, if you like, about how we gel as a group and how we can speak a language of who we are and uh, bring everyone's voices, collective voices, into who we are. And you get that collective sense of unity about this and ownership of it. That's that's the secret source that then, you know, as it happened that day, translate that 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 year turned into a successful tour. There's, there's been lots of very good teams that have done exactly the same thing that just ended up on the wrong end of the scoreline. It, mm. it just so happened that one. It just we ended up on the right side of it. Who was the um, inspiration in that team? Well, we had so many. I mean, you, you mentioned Martin and it has to start from him, you know, such a figurehead, such a, a great you know, person to just um, personify what it takes uh, to sort of bring a, you know, to sort of represent who we collectively felt we were, you know, weren't going to back down from anyone, going to collectively sort of be there for each other and um, step up for each other, whatever role we were playing in that group. You know, for most of that tour, I was a dirt tracker, thankfully got picked on the third test to go one cap at least. But as a dirt tracker, you you have a specific role to play. But that role is just, you know, that understanding that value that was given to every single person that was involved in it, whether you were doing stuff on off the pitch or on the pitch. And and Martin, I think I think he told me about this one story. It was him and Lawrence Delalio after the first test. They'd beaten South Africa. We'd beaten South Africa down in Newlands, and they sat in the changing room afterwards celebrating about it. He said. They literally talked to each other and said, right, just a couple of beers tonight, not late tonight, because tomorrow morning we've got to be out for the dirt trackers holding bags and giving them every effort to prepare for the midweek game as they gave to us to prepare for this game. Because they realized the importance of the continuity of the tour. If we're going to win this tour, it doesn't stop by just, you know, Saturday afternoon on six o'clock in the evening after the first test. You know, the journey continues and the role that everyone plays is so vitally important and you have to be there for each other and value everyone that's playing a part in that. Uh, so I thought just to me, what a wonderful way of encapsulating how, you know, the captain of that team, every right in the world to just have a few beers that night and have a lie in the next day. But no, that wasn't good enough. 
That's that's cool because we we watch through the TV screen. Some of us are lucky enough to go to the games, um, and you see a tour like the Lions tour, and and if it's a successful tour or a World Cup or whatever, and everyone goes up and gets their medals, and and you see the players that we haven't seen on the telly mm-hmm. go in and receive their medals, and you think to yourself, no, they're there because you know because as fans we also love rugby and we love the process, and we you know we're trying to instill that in in our academy but it's quite easy to see the the ones that didn't play the test matches and say well you know why are they getting a medal but and and like you've quite rightly said and and i've researched it a lot when i did my book um especially the um martin johnson uh, uh, as well in his leadership style but um was interesting it was sarah hunter when she got world player of the year and she was presented world player of the year she took it and said thank you, but it doesn't fit well with me because it's not about me. It's about the team. I'm only as good because of the team. And yeah. and this isn't for me. This is for the team. And that, that team. Um, it's a good Northeast laugh. I'll take that from us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, and you know, team sports, but obviously rugby has a sort of distinctive sort of value made of all shapes and sizes. But that, you know, we talked about Chris Ashton earlier on. There's that element of, you know, you score the tries as the winger, but we know we're the first to turn around and thank every single member of that team that made it possible for us to have the space to go and take advantage of it to go and score the try. But more than that, it's everyone else's role off the pitch as well uh, that played a part in, you know, in allowing you the ability to go off on that pitch and have that privilege of being the one that takes the park and has an even big, bigger privilege to score the try at the end of it all. Um, but uh, sport does that, rugby does that in amazing ways. And I think, uh, you know, that importance, if you like, uh, we need to learn that in life. And that's what we try and sort of most people that come from our sport understand that, you know, the roles that every single person plays in getting, you know, to make success a, a possibility. And the, how vitally important it is that, you know, it's not just recognized by, you know, the leaders in the, in the but your peers and the peers don't just understand, uh, don't just um, uh, sort of acknowledge it, but actually promote that aspect that the first person you do is you point to your, the guy that sort of, well, all of them thank them for that, uh, for that opportunity that they presented for you. I know um, 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 we're running short on time, so I'll just touch on this briefly, but you obviously moved well, we're on. We're in the first half still. We're we not in the second yeah, half. We yet? are in the no. We're on the first half still. We'll, okay. <laughs> we'll <push> on. <laughs> it's all just this like extra time they got playing now in this just, modern game. Exactly, you know? it's just like a test match, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you were at Newcastle. You started doing um, your pilot's license to become a, um, uh, an airline pilot. Newcastle, as I understand, were, were accommodating to you to to do that. But I've read your words since and and you've talked about your flying career and and having your cabin crew and and you talk very much like it's uh i think you reference you know whether it's um i think you said it's um it's not the try scored at twickenham or the landing at um at new york but it's the people in the dressing room and it's the people in the cabin when you're flying that really make the the things that matter to you yeah, and um, most people don't understand what's involved in flying. Um, 
but depending on the airline you're flying in, but most they're so such big beasts. Um, not just the airplanes, some of them, but you know the the, the companies that you, you you're flying with strangers every time you go in. So this was the element that was frustrating to me in my aviation career, is that um, unlike in the rugby sort of teams that you play for and you consolidate a bit of time to build up those friendships and, and and go through success and go through failure, go through the training, go through the the injuries, the knocks, the disappointments, everything. That that's what builds your memory bank, fills your memory banks to go through these sort of things together with others. Um, and there's that element in flying where you're doing it with strangers. And as uh, and the, uh, and you know when you fly long haul, you have a few days together with a group, but not really that much. Lock lock flight deck door. You know you can't have everyone coming in and out as, as they're used to, understandably. Um, but you'd go on a trip to New York or an LA even longer, and you basically you get back to the baggage carousel. You've built up a little bit of, um, uh, of of culture and team spirit around that group of individuals. Uh, and then you literally see that all evaporate in front of you when they sort of disappear to go home and get their well-deserved rest. And then a few days later, you start all over again. And it's like a Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day experience where you, you start with a bu another bunch of strangers. You try and collectively build that up and then that disappears. And then you start again. And, 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 and that for 20 years, that sort of knew something was eating away at me to a certain extent. And it was that lack of uh, sort of... Um, ability to continue that journey and build these relationships with people and and live through things with, together with them uh because ultimately that, that that's i think the human spirit sort of feeds off that uh and i was no different in my career mm, that's, interesting. that's interesting because I, I i'm not knowing not knowing about too much about flying um i just made the assumption that you would fly with the same crew and the same team sort of uh day in day out but clearly that isn't the case uh yeah no there's no no uh, some some might argue because they wouldn't want to fly with me again that was a good <laughs> thing but um uh no it was uh just the nature of things the scale of the operation the scale of people's uh roster patterns and flying patterns and restrictions and all that sort of stuff uh it just um you know you might bid to fly together with someone else but it, it you know it rarely some airlines had that ability to be able to do that uh, but most of them know you just got what you were given. And because of this, as I said, the scale of uh, some of the airlines I flew with, you know, you kind of, uh, that's how it's panned out. Just you, you were strangers every time. And and then, and that brings in that sort of other element, if you like, about how I'd like to think, you know, it's a good perspective to bring from a rugby environment where you're either in the club where you're playing with each other regularly in and out, ranging through to the Lions where, you know, as you said, you're kicking shit out of each other and then I've got to, you've got to form a team through to another environment where, you know, you're flying with strangers every time, having to create something. And only in moments as well, people, those who don't realise just how little time you get to spend with a group of individuals before you start the flight. And, and, and how that teaches you that teammanship, if you like, and culture isn't about big gestures it's about what you do in the moments and and how important those moments are and just how much effect they can have to get it right but obviously in a lot of cases how people can get it wrong by just in those moments just doing the wrong thing and either not being aware or not caring uh about those moments i think um we'll come on to this in the second half now because conscious of the time 
Um, but yeah, looking forward to talking to more about this development of teams, um, especially in such a short space of time um, when you're flying. But we'll um, call half time there. Um, just one announcement. Uh, Litchit Sevens have their, uh, sorry, Litchit Minster Rugby Football Club have their Sevens tournament this coming weekend, uh, 29th and 30th. Get down. It's always a good time. Um, you'll be supporting a, a local rugby club if you know where it is down there. Endorse it. Get down. Enjoy the refreshments. Enjoy the rugby. Enjoy the hospitality. They've got camping accommodation as well if you want to. It's a real, real good weekend. Um, I know the academy are going down there, taking two teams. Yeah, we've got two teams from the senior academy and then two teams from the junior academy. Um, playing on different days, unfortunately, so it mm. means I've got to go twice. Um, you know, but uh, that's. It's one of the it. issues I have, you know, unfortunately. But um, hot, hot dogs and beers twice. Yeah, something okay. like that. <laughs> <laughs> but in, as always, if you're listening and you have a rugby club that wants to promote something, wants some support with something, wants to just shout about something, get in touch with us on info at bemorerugby.com or any of the social media plan, uh, uh, channels, and we will happily try and promote grassroots for everybody. So we'll move on to our second half. This is where we want to get down into the mindset of rugby and the the leadership development and the team building um, and the, the understanding of, of culture and how it's helped you. So, Tony, we like to start the second half off with a question. What does rugby mean to you? <laughs> uh, what does rugby mean to me? I wouldn't be so glib as to say everything, but um, there's there's a whether it's rugby itself or the people within rugby, you know, they leave a part on you. There's a book called Legacy, I think, uh, written about the All Blacks um, sort of mentality about how how they play a game. Um, undeniably, that ability for the sport to just leave its mark on so many people in so many ways. But not just a mark, but a, you know, not just the ruck mark either. I know the rucking's banned these days, but um, but just um, you know, the positive aspects that the sport can teach you and and leave you in such a with with such um, powerful, if you like, lessons. How you can sort of translate that into how you conduct your life and other aspects, you know, in other aspects of your life. Um, so. As I say, whether it's the sport itself and the games and the memories from that, but the individuals that you come across. So right now, I'll just make a strong testimony to three individuals at uh, the Falcons that lost their lives last year with Steve Black, Blackie, uh, our strength and conditioning coach, but much, 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 much more than that uh, to anyone who ever had the sort of fortune to meet the man. Uh, Inga Twigamala, um, an incredible, credible player across both codes, uh, so I could be blessed to call a friend and a teammate back up at the Falcons. And then the other teammate was obviously Doddy Weir towards the end of the year with what he taught so much of us with just how he lived his life, but how he lived his life towards the end of it, especially. Um, so these sort of characters, um, well, I'll tell you now, but basically um, where it really hits home to me is that Inger and, Inger and uh, Blackie lost their lives towards the beginning of last year. And I was out cycling in a pretty much similar picture that you can see behind you up in the North Yorkshire countryside. And it really hit home one day that, you know, I'd never be able to share this with them. And um, and then it hit home that actually I was, 
because these individuals never leave you. They, they sit in your heart somewhere. And rugby does that to you and individuals within rugby in, in all aspects of life. But obviously, uh, you know, having rugby is such a massive influence in my life, such such, you know, strong characters like that uh, form a, a great a great uh, percentage of what, what lies within me right now. I like that answer. Very good answer. Very good. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're a small local rugby club here and, um, you know, we've got we've got names on the boards and um, you know, I I still run out on a Wednesday with uh, our vets, um, which we refer to as the fat dads. Um, and regularly, some of the the older ones amongst us get us all together because we need to remember somebody that's just passed on or um, it's an anniversary of somebody that's passed on. And there's a there's a real sense of there's far more people out there on a Wednesday night than, the you know, the 15 16 17 that have turned up to throw a rugby ball about um it it does it does have such an impact all these all these guys that have gone before and you know and the and the ones that are still in the club you come up and there's always regulars up here that that you can guarantee will be here and will always have some time for you even if it's just uh to see how you are yes i mean for sure this this club is built on the the history and the and the people that have gone before us you know, and and they and they've never left these four walls. You know, um, you know, sort of as as you were saying, Tony. You know, um, they don't leave you. You know, they do leave a mark on your life. And uh, and you know, I'm I'm happy to say that uh, at Wimborne, that is definitely the case. Mm. Mm. Yeah, oh. and credit to you. I mean, I think you you're touching upon there. I think you mentioned earlier that, um, yeah, I'm, like, I'm fortunate enough to be asked to be an ambassador at Nikasa Rugby Foundation. And so the work that they do in the community as well, but sport and, and the reach that it has and the ability that it has to go beyond. And I think clubs need to just, you know, it's a big, big gap, I think, or they can do better in just all, not all their focus being on what happens on the pitch, but, you know, and it's not just the one nil in the football match, or it's not the forty-five twenty-nine. Usually, when Harlequins are playing, I think they usually rack up these kind of scores, don't they? But you know, the you know, it's it's touching upon that question about who owns sport, or who you know, who what is sport for? Who is sport for? And this ability, as I said, it's often not what happens on the rugby pitch, but how clubs and communities like your own. Have been are able to have an impact in their community and their and society by in any way. Some kids might not even see a rugby ball, but just the impact that we can have through rugby uh, and through sport in general uh, to to positively impact society is just massive. Uh, and um, you know, and, and, and congratulations to all you're doing down there, and hopefully continue to do um, because that's the ability that sport has, and, and well done for seeing that through. We've. Um... We've got a, a, a new cohort coming. The under 15s are coming up into the junior academy now, and and we do presentations to talk to them about it. And uh, we do we've done a presentation for the parents, and then we've done a presentation for the lads because it's their rugby, it's their club. Um, and we talk to them about the fact that this transition is taking them from being reliant on their parents to you know get them here, get them there, do this, tell them that, blah blah blah, to turn them into individuals that can stand on their own two feet because 
the parents won't need to won't be able to be there when they go to work their parents aren't going to go and talk to their boss and say you know that was a bit harsh can't you you know give him a pay rise or cutting some slack or yeah he's not feeling very well so you know whatever they've got to stand there and do it for themselves so we encourage them at, at this point coming into the junior academy that they're now responsible for coming and communicating and and becoming uh independent not that their parents aren't welcome or whatever but at some point they need to stand on their own two feet and we talk to them about the fact that the academy is here to develop them it's not about them winning and and you touched on this earlier on so well we set goals we set outcome goals which is winning which we've got relatively little control over we can do our best but there's others trying to pit themselves against us we've got performance goals which might be more specific about just don't worry about the win but try and play rugby in their half for this game and then you've got process goals such as taking time to to pass properly tackle properly understand your positions properly understand your calls properly and we focus on those and we tell them you focus on the process goals then the performance goals will be easy the outcome goal will take care of itself yeah and it's that development which we're we're trying for trying to do in the academy so hopefully we get there well i think it's working so far i think we had a great day yesterday uh, with our final um, uh, match of the season for the senior academy, so for the, the boys that are in the under 18s they're they're now moving on to senior rugby. Um, most of them at universities, and I think we've got probably 30 percent of them staying staying here. So they're going to move into the senior the senior sort of uh, club here. But uh, but the camaraderie and the togetherness that they showed yesterday was almost almost something we could only dream of. You know, but you can clearly see it there. The way they talked afterwards, you know, the way they were sort of embracing each other. There was something really, really good about what happened. So yes, yeah. I think uh, I think I'm I'm never going to say we're the finished products, but uh, but we're certainly we're certainly you know along that a, a good way down down the correct road. Mm. Team spirit, I think that's probably what it is, and I don't know how you create it without it. Just I suppose it comes back to culture, does it? Well, I mean. Culture is one word for it. You can give it many sort of titles, but yeah, I think it's um, it's how you, to me, if you kind of, kind of like label who you are, you know, what is it that you want, want to be known for? Uh, some people might tell me your why, your meaning, your purpose, you know, because ultimately it's um, uh, you have an own individual goal, but what sports, especially team sports do for you is how that translates into you know what you you know as you said it's great you're identifying all these lessons that you can be so useful for you to take into life outside of the family environment about you know how work how you work together with others how you identify that compromise is part of life and uh, and other people's aspirations might be slightly different than yours how do you sort of uh, piece those together to find a collective meaning a collective purpose so if you like you know, I think there probably is a quote about that saying that cultures, all that is, is just a collective um, purpose as opposed to just an individual one. And um, so, you know, that 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 um, that is so important in all aspects of life. And you, know, you talked about whether it's in a corporate uh, office working environment and that's the transition that you guys, you guys are able to help 
people sort of adjust to, and kids to adjust to. Cool. Thank you. All right, should we go for another question, I think? Mm. Well, here we go. Um, so, uh, Tony, um, what have you learned from rugby that has helped you most? <laughs> a bit of a tricky one, I think, that one is. I think probably um, we touched upon it a little bit today with, you know, sort of how Chris Ashton moves on or you move on is just, well, resilience. Um, I think, um, and that's resilience while you're playing, but while you're playing not just rugby, but life, if you like. While, while you're going through this journey, you know, that resilience you've got to show in the microcosm of this of the environment of rugby but it's in all aspects of life. And um, so, you know, you've been kind enough not to touch about it too much, but the 95 World Cup was obviously a sort of a, a classic sort of sit, symbol of what life is like for people. You know, you, you have such big highs in your life and then very suddenly very big lows. And and how you deal with them, how you cope with them as an individual. But what you learn is... is you know, so what have I learned from rugby? It's, yeah, well, what does it take? Um, I, I term it care, if you like. If you, I don't want to get too wanky on you, but basically a, a sense of um, an acronym of what you can do. And it's see, contr control what you can control. And the biggest aspect you control is your attitude and your uh, and how you choose to respond to a situation. Um, and trying your best, if you like, to have a positive reframing of the challenge that you're facing at the time. Or, you know, a, a challenge like Jonah, for example, is a challenge that isn't just the 90 minutes. Uh, sorry, I went football there for a second, went 80 minutes um, uh, on the pitch. Uh, but the fact that, like a lot of challenges in your life, it's not just the immediate thing, but it's the it's the little triggers that come through the rest of your life that remind you of it or yeah. something that reminds you of, you know, past failures, if you like, or past sort of uh, issues that you didn't quite get on top of sort of thing. Um, and so take control and the attitudes, the main thing that you can do and how you choose to respond. But that is on very much on an internal basis. And it's really hard. So the R is to do with relationships and what it teaches you as team. And so that aspect about how you use your network and so much talk about, you know, the likes of the loose heads in rugby, but this ability, especially in a very toxic environment uh, that it can be, whether it's in a male or a female dressing room, sport can sometimes be like that, where it's all about, you know, showing, you know, especially a sport like rugby, where it's all about physicality and you can't show any vulnerability, et cetera. So talking about being vulnerable or talking about your mental health issues, et cetera, uh, is taboo. Um, and thankfully, I think we're crossing that lexicon, if you like, in a lot of sport, and especially in rugby, that it's okay. Um, and and so using your relationships to be able to talk to people. And then the last thing is your environment um, and how you can, where can you can take control of your environment or how can you, uh, find it uh, or, or or take you know find an find an environment that's more conducive to your uh, such situation and if it's not making a conscious decision to remove yourself from it uh, or you know through to 
and not uh, not so much where I am now. So that's why it's hidden by this. But obviously, if you're lucky enough to be in an environment like I have in, uh, and I know you're to Dorset way, aren't you? Um, so beautiful countryside down there, you know, whether it's your physical environment or your environment that your life is in uh, and, and taking control of whether it's your your health, your well-being, your mental, your uh um your, your nutrition whatever it is take control of what you can in terms of your existence almost um and so you know you don't know that when you're doing it so you know you're asking me this question now 20 odd years 24 like god I've, I've been asked 28 years now is it 28 years since i um you know put, put strapped on a pair of rugby boots um it's looking back at what you did uh, and and how it transpired in a and this is how you hopefully impress upon people it's using your experience that you're passing on to the kids of um you know keeping alive if you like uh and legacy sort of aspects about what sport rugby teaches you uh, and it taught me that and that's what you try and pass forward as well but interestingly um so uh, that uh, 95 world cup so obviously you no know, you, you knew you were going to be opposite opposite Jonah did you prepare for that in any particular way or was it just the same as usual? Was there anything special you did? Because um, obviously I heard a story about you winked at him during the hacker um, and I'm not sure if you did do that or not, but. Um... Uh, well, you, you don't get heard over 60,000 people. So if you want to say, <laughs> I, you know, as you do with a, t a hacker, my previous ones have been against Inga, who, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Inga took it the right way when I sort of winked at him, you know, in terms of thank you for the challenge and I accept it and let's go and take battle on the rugby pitch, if you like, and, you know, honour what the hacker represents, you know. Um, so that's what I meant by the wink, not, not uh, you know, you look good, mate, and I'm going to take one over on you. Uh, so, um, no, did I do anything different? You, you can't change much. Uh, um, uh, you know, you... you you didn't have the footage we had uh, uh, video where we started having a little bit of that, but yeah, it's kind of like um, so, so much of it on a, on an individual basis can only control so much. So what was I going to do? Well, if they had the ball, try and close the gap and, and be on him. So he didn't have space to move that much. Uh, so at least you can try and slow him down. You're never going to stop him, but slow him down at least. Um but that can only go so far when the game went a certain way that it did, where he got so much ball in loose. Sorry, I'm, I'm turning into what did I prepare to my excuses for why it transpired no, no, no. as it did. He did get a lot of ball that, 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 that day. So. Got a lot of, well, it, it turned into a very loose game, a lot of turnover ball. And, you know, any team with turnover ball, especially the All Blacks, and especially the All Blacks with uh, with uh, with Jonah Lomu in it, or or Inga Twigamala a couple of years before him, you know, it's gonna you know gonna be on a hiding to nothing. Cause you know, you can't give these guys any space and you can't give an individual like Jonah a lot of space. Uh uh, because you know, if you're not on him, you you're never you you're always gonna be a, a you know, come off second best in a tackle. Uh, and it never was my strength, by the way. Uh, I'll you know, gladly admit. Uh, and so, you know, the way the game was um, didn't play into our strengths. And I freely admit, that, you know, bear in mind, most of your listeners won't understand this, but substitutions back in the day, you had to be, you know, candidate for the uh, 
for the NE department to be have a chance to get taken substituted. Uh, this day and age, I'm sure I'd have been substituted off after about 15 minutes, because um, <laughs> the way the game was going. Um, so, yeah. So, did I prepare any differently to your original question? Not massively. I mean, uh, I, I had to go into the game with an element of thinking about him, but more, what was I going to do? Yeah. Because you you pick players like me to impress, you know, what I bring to the game, and that's not defensive. It's what I can do on an attacking basis. So, and and how can I just be involved in the game as much as possible, as much as possible away from, you know, you know, my right wing, but as much in getting involved elsewhere. Yeah. That was where my strength was. Uh, but I didn't get much chance of that, unfortunately. I love your answer to Lee's question, resilience. Um, I quite often talk to people about um, resilience because there's so much stuff on the internet that says, get up, get on, just keep going, be tough, don't stop, blah, blah, blah. And and, and I, your CARE acronym really brings it home because I speak to people and say, we're all getting up and we're all going on. The ones that aren't, aren't with us anymore. If you get up every day and go to work, you've already got up and got on. But that's not enough. You can't just stand in the way and keep getting beaten all the time. That's not tough. That's hard, but a bit stupid. You've got to do something like you've said with your, you know, with your care acronym. You've got to make some plans. You've got to think about things. You've got to look at your environment. You've got to Work out what you've got control of and what you haven't got control of and go at it intelligently and say, okay, I have got up. I am keep going. This is my resilience, but I've got to make the best of it and I've got to do it in a way that really I can benefit myself, my teammates, those around me as well, rather than just the whole get up, get on, keep going, be tough, which kind of gets a bit tedious after a while because... Some people out there are just tired from getting up and getting on and they're not going anywhere. So, yeah, to give them that ability to think about yeah. control, think about their in environment, the relationships that they're with, the attitude that they have um, and make a plan to make positive steps forward. Really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, thank and, and I think you're absolutely right. And you're absolutely right. This mentality that. You know, again, sort of so much of our language is taken over about being a snowflake and being woke. Call me woke if you want. I don't care. Uh, this mentality that really how, you know, yes, sometimes sometimes you do have to get on with it. OK, but how, you know, n name me when. OK, if you're in the middle of a rugby pitch, in the middle of a match, you know, because even then there's moments when you can just take a moment to reflect. OK, but in, in the midst of the action, yes, you've got to. You can't you can't just step back and just I'm just going to take a moment and take care of myself and go through my care acronym or whatever. Um, you've just got to get on with it. Um, but, you know, most most aspects of life, you don't. And you can just take that step back and just take a moment. And uh, um, and, and and the other perspective that I want to throw in there is that people talk about resilience, about coping. For me, you can apply the same thing. And it's not about mental health, if you like. It's about mental well-being, about how you can actually be a better. But, you know, resilience is about, to me, learning from what it is and coming back better and and um, and and taking on sort of these challenges, responding from them well to give success uh, and, 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 and to be the best version of yourself you can be. That's what resilience is as well to me, is about 
you know, more my recent stuff that I talk about is the aspect of um, how if there's one constant, it's change. That's the reality for us all. And the reality is the people that thrive are just the ones that are more resilient and have learned how to perform under pressure. And that's all that is to me. It's about performing under pressure the best way you possibly can. And it might just be to cope, but I'd like to take it a step further and say that's where elite performance happens. That's where the best stand out from the best. That's where companies go, you know, survive and come and thrive is because they perform under pressure and thrive and, and show resilience under the challenges that we all face because that's the reality of things. That's it. And that leads nicely on to our next question. What do you hope people get from rugby that can help them in their daily lives? I think you've probably already answered, answered that, that one, a 10 times over. But <laughs> um, Well, I'll take us a, a, a little stage further. We've talked about this, you know, a, a little bit, but purpose you know you 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 need to establish your own and you need to take that time out to really get to the under underpin because that's 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 the secret source that allows you to perform under pressure that's the secret source that allows you to um uh, for your group to be committed to something rather than just compliant that's the secret source that means you have prepared better because you go that extra mile to do the do the basics better so that when they have to withstand um you know the challenges that life face that's what shows the resilience because you you put the world class basics in there because you've gone the extra mile you had the challenge mindset to want to keep learning and be better uh you will only do that if you've identified your own values and meaning and purpose and then you translate that collectively into this group's collective um, um understanding of what their purpose their culture is about and that collectively means that we step up to the plate when we have to and then that if you like can only happen those conversations can only happen if you understand the basics of trust because all of that is trust in action to me rugby has taught me that for any team that i've been involved in we did all those things and underpinning it all was the sort of um, the understanding about how you can trust each other and go and and, and go that and and um, um, and put it into action about how you interact with others. That's what I translated to in my rugby sort of environment, and that's what I tried to sorry in my flying environment to try and employ that. And that's what I do in life in general, if you like, is try and how to how to interact with others with that sort of basis of um, how you uh, how you how you um, you put trust into action, form relationships to to collaborate uh, and and identify a purpose to which they then create the environment to which we can thrive under pressure. That's amazing. I'm struggling to write all this down, Tony. I've never written so much down in an, uh, in a podcast and all the time yeah. we've been doing it. But um, yeah, I love that. I mean, we, we talk all the time. We, we mention it all the time. Rugby's made up of so many different shapes and sizes and and all of these all of these coming together to perform at their highest creates a winning team but everyone's so different at the same time yeah different backgrounds yeah they're different shapes and sizes they're different mentalities 
but they all come together to and they're, and they're successful together but like you say you're talking about individual development to create um collective development i think wrap it up with the last question i think so um so tony uh what advice would you give to anyone thinking of taking up rugby we'll do it uh but <laughs> um I, th I think um, probably embrace it in terms of holistically what it gives you. So whether it's on the physical side of things, the mental side of things that we've talked about today, whether it's um, just being out in the fresh air, uh, whether uh, or, you know, it's the the whole the whole package, if you like, about what rugby embraces rather than just catching and giving a ball and running after someone and tackling someone. Um, that, that, that to me is, um, you know, you might notice I don't sit here talking about the technical aspects about rugby. It's, it's the human element of it uh, that the sport, well, all sport gives you, but obviously I'm going to be biased and say, and we're all going to be biased. Yeah. And all your listeners, I'm sure are going to be biased to say, it's going to be, you know, especially from rugby, because it, you know, um, the way that it brings, you know, as you say, such a wide disparity of people together, that, uh, you know, you, you hit upon it that ability to just sort of bring all that different disparities of society together, uh, and, and my language would be, you know, allow, you know, because you talk a common language that we all have. Uh, and, um, and and rugby embraces that in, in a lot of ways about how you form relationships back and that concept of trust. You know, you, you fundamentally have to apply trust uh, in all aspects of what you do in the sport, you know, literally because physically you're up against it if you don't and your mate's going to get hurt if you don't uh, through to, yeah, and you won't succeed unless you put in place the elements of trust, uh, uh, you know, with what is reflected on the scoreboard, etc. But everything that goes into that is all not you know you know even to the extent that human side of things translates into how you do the technical side of things better um it's all sort of interlinked uh and and what rugby can teach you and so when you go into it yeah that's what i would say is just embrace it all um um yeah fantastic i think sadly because i could talk about this with you all night long we're going to have to call time um it's been such an inspiration tony having you on the podcast thank you so much as i say i've never written down quite so much in a in a podcast before but <laughs> if people because you do your um your leadership and teamwork um consultation and, and development if people wanted to get in touch with you and and engage with you on on that side of things is there somewhere they can uh, very kind of you to ask. It's a work in motion. Uh, I have bought the domain. It's trust-centered leader. Trust-centered uh, leader. Dot com. Uh, dot com. And um, uh, I'll hopefully have a, by the time this goes out there, I might even have a website up running about, but uh, uh, otherwise LinkedIn and Twitter, just find me on there. I think uh, uh, Twitter, I think, is the only sort of social media that I possess. So mm. uh, I'm not like all these jocks nowadays. But, um... <laughs> well there you go you heard it from here keep an eye out um engage um uh, engage with tony as well on um 
yeah on trustcenteredleader.com and hopefully you'll have something up soon um well my takeaways i haven't got the time to give you all my takeaways on this because <laughs> honestly talking to you is exactly what we're we're trying to achieve with the whole be more rugby philosophy that idea that there's lessons there in in control there's lessons there in in performance there's lessons there in in leadership and in and in teamwork how to create teams how to come together by focusing on you developing yourself understanding what you or your purpose is and finding those around you to create a team so that you can all all succeed um so much to take away and and especially the resilience side but but with the the care acronym that that really struck me yeah uh, for me, I, there's there's one big takeaway that I need to speak to you about, Tony. And how much fun was it doing that pizza advert? <laughs> um, well, um, it's a bit weird because you sat in. Uh, we were sat in this mock dressing room that they made. I mean, I'm I'm not big in rugby terms uh, anyway, but um, they put this big changing room and sat us in it to film it. But Jonah wasn't there. He was filming in a green screen in New Zealand. So. <laughs> It was all acting ability that was actually oh, wow. I had to pretend he was there. So, Fantastic. No. so the most fun was actually we we were doing all the stuff for the day and we we're like, whoa, this is crazy. What the hell's going on here? And then when the video came through, when they, I mean, the magic of television, I mean, God, it was amazing. Uh, and um, to see what they put together um, and the fact that I can put my sort of children in front of a video and their friends now and they have a giggle about it is, you know, um testimony to just how good a job they did you know oh it's a great advert i mean that that, that line when you ask him if you can have a slice and he says no you can have a smell yeah <laughs> <laughs> fantastic no it's a great it's a great advert and i think it was it's one of those things where you know all right the world cup's been and gone but you know you can have a laugh it's it, again it's a it's yeah. a bigger thing than the game you know there's there's a there's, a, there's something fun and there's and uh a, a very much a human element to that to that um to that advert which which i really like no thank you well there's a metaphor for care and action actually to be fair because that's about well what can you take control of well let's reframe what it is mm. in the end it was just a game of rugby at the time when we made it and we also can't reflect as we can now yeah. jonah's unfortunately passed uh and you know and we can hang on to his memory in positive ways and I was just some small part of that legacy he left. Uh, and for me, it was just, well, yeah, it is just a game of rugby. And you picked up on it, but the only person that could tackle him was my mum. But the the metaphor with that is that relationships and getting talking to people from the most unlikely places help will come, you know, so to tackle your Jonah, literally. So I couldn't tackle him. Most of the rest of the, the team couldn't tackle him. Uh, but, you know, this is how challenges are sometimes you don't know where the help can come from uh and, and where the um, and uh and, and that's what happened there i like that tackle your jonah yeah yeah that's there you go. i might be using that sometime in the near future <laughs> yes <laughs> all our listeners if you take one thing away tackle your jonah i like yeah tackle your jonah <laughs> get talking to people <laughs> absolutely well i'd like to say thank you so much tony it's been an absolute inspiration and sorry we've run out of time it seems so quickly but um thank you so much for coming on um it's exactly what we're trying to to achieve this understanding that um you know 
teamwork is so important and rugby just teaches that and so much more so if you are listening and you like what we do please like it share it follow us get in touch do whatever you want to do um give us feedback if you want to yeah not Uh, too much feedback a bit of feedback if you want to positive feedback only there you go a little bit of positive (laughs) feedback only but um but yeah Hopefully you're enjoying what we're doing. Um, tell us about it. Um, we'll be happy to um, to try and take on all uh, all feedback possible. And until next time, be more rugby. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, James. Thank you, Tony. Absolute pleasure. Take care, everyone. Thank Cheers. you, Tony. It's been great talking to you.